0: For your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, November 8th, 2016. Yeah, election day here in the United States. And the only thing I can say is I am so glad that I do not have to hear any more campaigning from any party for a while. It's just awful. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program. That dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you slow down. Stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to actually open up the Bible and do the comparative work to test to see if what the most popular Pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self appointed apostles and apostolates, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex is those who we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, whose small group curricula we need to be studying instead of the word of God. Yeah, that's how that works. And over and again we demonstrate that what is being taught out there and what is being said out there. Doesn't square with what God's Word says. It is just looney tunes, is the best way to put it. It's as if God has sent a strong delusion upon people so that they'll believe a lie. Hmm, Yeah, that's 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Might want to look that up if you haven't read that recently. So, um, like I said at the opening of the program, today is election day here in the United States of America. And, oh man, it has just been a long, arduous presidential election cycle. I am not thrilled by either candidate. And I am literally just preparing for the worst and hoping for the absurd. That's all I can say. That's all I want to talk about. I don't like doing politics on this program. Years and years and years ago, um, I was actually very politically involved and So much so that I was the treasurer for the Republican Central Committee in Southern California for the Congressional uh, Districts 43 and 44 there in uh, Southern California. And uh, being the treasurer of the Republican Central Committee cured me of politics. That's just the best way I could put it. And <laughs> so I have found <clears throat> a different uh, career path, a different dream destiny to fulfill, if you would. So... <laughs> Yeah. So talking about the elections, we're you know, we'll we're gonna start off with <laughs> we're gonna start off with William Tapley, the third eagle of the apocalypse, and the co prophet of the end times. And uh he's he claims that Trump is seven 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 in Bible prophecy. Yeah, that's weird because if you know anything about how biblical numbers work. 777 seven, seven is God's number, and I seriously doubt that Donald Trump is God. Yeah, I'm just saying that's the number for the Trinity. But uh, yeah, you got to know your Bible very well to kind of figure that out. But uh, then we uh, will check in with the prophetess, that's P R O F I T E S S, prophetess, uh, Vonda, uh, the nagging prophetess. As uh, she releases a uh, well an important prophecy that uh, that there's going to be a terrorist attack in New York City today on election day, so I you know we'll check in with that then we're going to head down to Faith Church in St Louis as they uh, as they put up Omar Morris never heard this fellow before, but uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time unpacking this biblically. Omar Morris, How to Receive Your Healing, is the name of the message. We'll uh, crack into the first part of that and uh, demonstrate that what is being taught there is not actually biblical teaching. Uh, it is a false teaching that, if you buy into this, will lead to despair. Uh, no no way around it. And uh, then in hour number two, we're going to head down to Church of the Highlands and listen to Tommy Barnett. Uh, Tommy Barnett, I'll just kind of put it this way, he is um, an elder statesman in evangelicalism. Um, I'm kind of surprised I haven't reviewed him yet. And uh, and as an elder statesman, we will note that um, false teaching and Bible twisting is not limited to only the young. Yeah, just saying. So uh, the, the sermon we will be reviewing is titled, How to Leave a Legacy. Uh huh. How to leave a legacy. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable. We have a lot of ground that we need to cover. And since we're going to begin with a William Tapley 30 Goal of the Apocalypse, co-prophet of the End Times update, that requires us to do this. Mm-hmm.
1: Listen to Third eagles' tomb. Doom and gloom, God is telling us the end is coming soon. Very soon, you'll see signs up in the sun and stars and moon. Doom and gloom, very soon, rapture comes at night or noon. Doom and gloom, very soon, if you're ready, you will meet the bride and groom. Up, up.
0: Now that's right, doom and gloom coming soon. William Tapley, 30 Girl of the Apocalypse, co-prophet of the end times. We have literally been uh, featuring uh, William Tapley on Fighting for the Faith, I think going all the way back to the beginning of the program. William Tapley is the gift that keeps on giving, and uh, and so you know, he is the guy who, <laughs> if they had a prophecy angle that they were covering over at CNN, he'd be their reporter, and so. Uh, Since CNN and Fox News or MSNBC do not have anybody work in the prophecy beat in order to give us the prophetic insights to what is happening in the news, William Tapley has decided to serve humanity on his own YouTube channel and (laughs) provide us with the missing uh, data that is just never covered in any uh, (laughs) major news television network. So here's William Tapley to explain how... Donald Trump is 777 in Bible Prophecy. Here we go.
1: To Revelation Unraveled, I'm your host, William Tapley, also known as the third eagle of the apocalypse and the co-prophet of these end times. Well, that big day is finally here. Tomorrow, we choose a president here in the United States. And
0: now, that I- uh, tomorrow is today already here in the United States. So, so today, we're, we're picking a new president.
1: So many countries around the world are also interested in this. And this past week, I have watched several very interesting videos, which show that Donald Trump's number in Bible prophecy could very well be seven, seven, seven. And
0: that yeah, how do you figure? How, how do you figure that? Um, the, yeah, if you know your how Bible numbers work, um, then you'll know that the number of the Trinity is seven, seven, seven. That's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit 7 being a perfect number in that sense and then you know the number 666 that's like an unholy trinity. Yeah, it's it doesn't quite measure up to snuff. That's kind of the point of the 666 number in scripture. So, you know, how is it that you are thinking that Donald Trump has somehow come to be known in scripture by the number that the Trinity itself is known by?
1: It's very significant And here is how they derived that very interesting numerology. If he is elected tomorrow, the first day of his presidency will be January the 21st. He takes his... Right, January 21st, right. ...of office on the 20th. And how old will he be? He will be 70 years plus, 7 months plus 7 days old. Very interesting and significant numerology.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah, I hadn't even considered the whole birthday angle. Yeah, consider myself chastened here.
1: (laughs) Ah. Let me show you how that is derived. Okay, yeah. He was born on June the 14th, 1946. Got it, And when you add 70 years to his birth date... Mm -hmm. You come up with June 14th, 2016. Indeed. And when you add seven months, yeah. you come up with January 14th, 2017, plus seven days gives you
0: January the 21st, 2017. Yeah. Indeed, it does. Oh, yeah. Wow. What if he doesn't win? I mean, it, there's a chance he's not even going to win
1: inaugurated on the 20th but his first full day in office would be the
0: 21st okay so he's inaugurated on the 20th that which would mess everything up numerically so we just go to the next day which would be the fir- his first day in office got it
1: very significant and i'll put some links to the videos below because they explain this maybe a little bit better than i just did now the question is is seven seven a good number or an evil number Well, we know the number seven is primarily a good number. It refers to Almighty God. Mm. Back in the book of Genesis, God used seven days to create the universe. I should say six days. And on the seventh day, he rested. That is his number. But seven can also be an evil number. That's because there are seven deadly sins. But really much more significant for these end times, the number seven-seven. 7 specifically refers to the scarlet beast in the book of Revelation. So uh,
0: what? <laughs> <sighs> okay, yeah, William Tapley is um the, have you familiar with the term quixotic? Yes. He's out there slaying eschatological windmills um and <laughs> And way off topic, way off mission, you know, what we never really hear William Tapley talk about. Mm-hmm. Repentance, the forgiveness of sins, Christ's suffering and death for our sins, resurrection bodily from the grave on the third day, the, the need for us to repent, to be forgiven. And uh, and you know, and by the way, this is not actually part of uh, biblical discipleship. Yeah, no, it, it isn't. Here's the reason why is that Scripture teaches us, actually Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching all that I have commanded. And I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So here's the idea, is that what we Christians are to be um, focusing in on as far as our discipleship, what we're to be meditating on, what our mind should be chewing on as far as uh, what we believe is coming from the word of God, from the mouth of God, would actually be found in the written word of God, rightly understood. Um, William Tapley, um, he, he may have spent a little too much time in the sun, and um, he may have baked that part of his brain and messed it up, and that's probably the reason why he's so focused on this other stuff rather than actual biblical Christian discipleship. You you know what I'm saying?
1: Read that passage for you. Chapter 17 of the book of Revelation, verse number Mm 9. And here is the understanding that has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains upon which the woman sits, and they are seven kings.
0: This would be the Scarlet Beast. This is the beast. Yeah, that, that's two sevens there. Yeah, Seven mountains, by the way. I think that's NAR talk.
1: Which burns the Whore of Babylon with fire in yeah. one hour. Mm-hmm. The Whore of Babylon is primarily the United States. The Scarlet Beast represents all the nations of the world which will support communism in the end times. And remember, the eighth and final beast morphs out of the seventh beast. And I got a very interesting email this morning from Fire11Hajil. I think he pronounces his user handle on YouTube. Hillary Clinton is the representation of the great harlot
2: of Babylon. <laughs> oh,
0: man. <sighs> yeah. I don't think he's read Lewis Brighton's commentary on uh, the book of Revelation, by the way. If you really want a good commentary on the book of Revelation that will help you understand what it actually means without going into this kind of nonsense, uh, Lewis Brighton, uh, who used to teach at Concordia Theological Seminary in uh, St. Louis, uh, he's your fellow. You can look him up on, on Amazon. Lewis Brighton, type in book of Revelation. They have two different versions of it. Uh, one a kind of a scholarly level where you need to know your Greek, and the other is uh, is a lay, a lay level, uh, w- well worth the read. But, um, okay. That could be. That's interesting. Donald
1: Trump is the representation of the beast who is carrying this harlot. In other words, the scarlet beast. This is international. These shall hate the harlot, and shall make her
0: desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh. Uh. I just did not need that. I mean, the mental picture of Hillary Clinton naked. Okay, stop it. I'll
1: burn here with fire. Thank you very much, Fire.
0: Yeah, my eyes were burned with fire just by you describing that with you.
1: But I also want to add another very interesting numerology, which I personally have discovered. <laughs> really? Please share it
0: with the group, Mister Tapley.
1: If Donald Trump wins. That will prove that his number is 777 in Bible prophecy.
0: I'm oh, okay.
1: Sure, how that means that he would defeat the Whore of Babylon, but I think it's possible. Remember, neither the Scarlet Beast nor the Whore of Babylon are good in Almighty God's sight. They are both in a spiritual wasteland. And I was thinking, what would be my birthday? as far as Bible prophecy goes.
0: So- oh, right, yeah. While he's under the hood doing his own Bible prophecy with his own biblical prophetic uh, algorithms, if you would, why, why not run the data on myself? Right. uh-huh uh- On a lark, I
1: decided to look at my birthday, which is April 2nd, 1939. And if you add 77 years to that, just as we added 70 for Donald Trump's birthday, you come up with April 2nd, 2016. Wow. And when you add seven months to that date, just as we did with Donald Trump, you come up with November 2nd, 2016.
0: Which which is already passed. Days ago.
1: And when you add seven days to that, you come up with November 9th, 2016.
0: Why would you add more seven more days i you know he's doing his own eschatological math dubious math at best
1: Day after election day i think that is extremely significant so here is my challenge to all you prophets on youtube especially those who did videos on trump being 777 if that numerology works for donald trump and he is elected then that same biblical numerology, that same formula, would work for the Third Eagle. For yours truly. And that proves that I am (laughs) 7777.
0: No, you are bonkers, 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 bonkers. One taco short of a combo plate for sure. Yeah, so William T- So Donald Trump is 777 but William Tabley. Oh, 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 by the same stretch of numerological numerological eschatological algorithmic mysteries he-, he is our 7777. Well, there you go. I <sighs> The fact that people actually subscribe to his YouTube channel and think that what he is saying has anything to do with what God would have us to do proves that the United States and the world is clearly facing the judgment of God. That's all I have to say about it. Moving along
3: So I was having this wedding and and we ha- we well, we didn't have we Shaba. Mm,
4: Shaba
0: Yeah, that's right. Time for a Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update. I mean, uh, this is hot off the prophetic presses. Uh, Vonda, the nagging prophetess, put out a, 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 a well, an emergency prophecy today. Uh, warning. Warning. Warning that the elections will probably be, well, suspended. She's still hanging on to the dump Trump thing. And warning that God told her that there's probably going to be a terrorist attack in the NYC. Today, today, yeah, Election Day. Here's uh, Vonda the Nagging Prophetess, that's P-R-O-F-I-T-E-S-S, to explain.
3: Vonda here. You are watching God News. Not coming to you from the main camera today. Just coming to you from my hand, uh, my phone, my cell phone. Uh, just have a quick word, uh, an urgent word that I want to share with um, America. Um, it's been on my heart, Glinda Underwood Jackson's prophecy. Not uh, my prophecy that the elections would be suspended if America didn't rise up and pray. Uh, Christians rise up and pray. But it's her word. But I've been praying, and asking the Lord, and wondering. Uh, Lord, if it were to be suspended, why would it be suspended? Would it be? Suspended?
0: Yeah, well, the elections are going to be suspended. Yeah. Hmm. Hang on a second here. I, I, you know, as I'm recording, you know, it's it's election day here in the United States. Let me go to uh, the Washington Post. Hang on a second. WashingtonPost.com. See if there's any breaking news about suspended elections. Hang on a second here uh j- changing demographics could decide results okay all right so nothing um 127 counties could point to tonight's winter uh-huh okay these re- nothing about anything being canceled huh all right so the elections appear to be on i i just needed to double check you know i mean I'm, I mean, after all, I mean, sometimes, you know, God, the Holy Spirit can get way ahead of everybody else, you know, working with somebody like, you know, Vonda here. You know, she's so cutting edge in her prophecies. All right, let's go back to what she is saying.
3: Because Trump is going to get dumped and they're going to have to put a Jeb in and it's going to take time or, you know, or... Um,
0: right, yeah. They're going to dump Trump. I mean, any second now. I mean... I know people have been voting for him all day, um, and some of the polling places are getting ready to close on the East Coast. But um, yeah, you know, um, I'm sure they're suspending and you know, dumping Trump and bringing in Jeb Bush. No, she's doubling down there on that. I think it's tripling down on it now.
3: Oh well, no, well, you know what? Why could the elections be suspended? And um, so that's been on my heart, and I've been watching and uh, you know the news and everything, and 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 going through this uh you know with the rest of America and last night when i laid my head on the pillow the holy spirit gave me a vision and
0: right the the holy spirit gave you a vision so i mean this is folks this is as fresh as prophecy gets right now i mean i mean she i mean she hasn't even had time to write this down and process it i mean she woke up this morning and started filming almost immediately i mean okay
3: the vision i saw in y c you know, with the decimal points or the, the the periods for New York City. And then I saw terrorist attack. The Holy Spirit said New York City terrorist attack.
0: All I- right. Hang on a second here. I, I'm going to check the New York Times website. Hang, I got to open up a new tab in my browser. NY Times. Hang on. NYTimes.com. Let's see if there's anything breaking about the uh, election day terrorist attack in New York City. Hang on. Um in final hours of a bitter race voters get their say okay um hmm. nothing about any terrorist attacks in new york's No, nope, i'm not no nope, not seeing anybody fleeing from bomb scenes or gun attacks or anything like that um no not no no new and and, and we're getting close to the the polls closing in New York City and no terrorist attacks in NYC yet. You sure that was the Holy Spirit who told you that?
3: Get attacks, plural, but attack one. So I was like, oh, Lord. Wow. And so um, God told me it wasn't for me to keep to myself, that I was to share it. And
0: So, so God told you to share that? Which God are you talking about? I mean, I, well, see, the the God, the Holy Spirit, n- never stutters or lies or anything like that. So I'm pretty sure you're not hearing from him.
3: Um, so I'm here sharing that um, I believe, based on what the Holy Spirit showed me, I haven't had time to get a million confirmations. Uh, so if it comes true, it's thus saith the Lord. If it doesn't come true, it's not. Nevertheless, well, we could pray our way Yeah,
0: you just said God told you to share this. So you you know, you know, already said, thus saith the Lord. And, um, hmm. Yeah, okay.
3: Um, but I'm just here to say that uh, if you're in New York City, um, beware. If you're in New York City and you're a policeman watching, have your eyes open. Be alert. Be aware. And I'm just going to pray for uh, New York City right now. And um, uh, I just want to say that God has showed me a terrorist attack there. Oh,
0: yeah. Okay. He did. Yeah. For Election Day today. Now,
3: we already know in the news that they've put Virginia, I'm in Virginia, they put New York and Texas on high alert. But um, I didn't make up this vision. I don't take credit for it. We give Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit the credit um, for...
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's blasphemy. You really don't want to pin this on the Holy Spirit because it's not coming true
3: that's the revelation so let's just pray right now for new york and uh for obama to have wisdom oh. no
0: why no no we're not going to let you pray for obama or new york or anything of the sort instead we're going to say a quick prayer for you vonda let us pray lord jesus christ we pray for vonda she is wicked and evil and she is prophesying the delusions of her own mind, and blaming it on the Holy Spirit. We ask God that you would convict her of her sins, bring her to repentance, and cause her to shut down her YouTube channel, and to bear fruit in keeping with repentance by warning other people of the false signs and wonders and prophecies that are being promulgated today within the body of Christ. May she May she seek your mercy and forgiveness for all of this wickedness by daring to blaspheme the name of God, the Holy Spirit, and pinning on God. These false words, these empty words, these deceptive words that do not have their origin in the mind of God, but have their origin in the sick, twisted, grievously greedy, and impenitent heart of this wicked woman who is a false prophet, claiming to be serving Christ while deceiving others and serving only herself. We ask this in the name of our crucified and risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at christian. Quick break when we come back. Omar Morris is uh, preaching at Faith Church on how to receive your healing. Yeah, Bible twisting coming up. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back.
6: yo-ho, yo
4: Max Holliday's Birdcage Theater presents Church Day Select.
2: Has it been a week
6: already? Right, Uh, package for you, ma'am. Just uh, sign there. Oh, dear. I was expecting something a bit... L- larger?
4: Is that all there is? Uh,
6: afraid so, ma'am. Uh, sorry to disappoint. Oh,
4: <laughs> no worries. I'm sure more will be on the way. Uh, thank you so very much. Uh, Have a good day, ma'am. I wonder what's in here. Oh, I do hope I haven't been ordering chairpets in my sleep again. Oh, it's a DVD! Oh, this had better not be another one of those Lectio Divina thingies.
7: Hello! If you are watching this, it means that you have purchased the post-apocalyptic preparedness package. You have bought the...
6: Bronze edition. Bronze
7: edition? Please don't be alarmed, as your full order will be arriving within the next few weeks. Next few weeks?
4: The end of the world might have happened by then. I should have paid the extra ninety-nine
7: ninety nine for the faster shipping. The purpose of this DVD is to catalogue everything that you will be receiving in the
4: Bronze Edition
7: package, along with information on our other great offers.
4: Looks like there are different chapters to select from. Let's see here. Toiletries, clothing, nourishment, shelter, sanitation, medicine, gardening, energy, communication, weaponry, underwater basket weaving. Okay Additional accessories, expansion packs, and ooh, play all. <laughs> I'll choose that one.
7: As you know, God has given us signs in the sun, moon, and stars that the end times are approaching. After the destruction of your country, the everyday comforts you currently enjoy will have been disintegrated by God's judgment. By investing in our merchandise, you have proven to God that you have audacious faith in his prophets, seers, and visionaries. Now we're ready to dive into the crucial survival equipment you have purchased.
4: Well, I'm certainly glad that God knows I'm faithful. No doom and gloom for me.
7: You have purchased the...
4: Bronze edition.
7: Please pay attention to which items you will be receiving. I have my new pad
4: ready. Part one. toiletries.
7: In the bronze edition, your toilet paper will be made from the finest scratchy banana leaves and corrugated tree bark. Toilet paper
4: made from scratchy banana leaves and... Wait,
7: What? what? In the silver edition your toilet paper will be made from all-natural, organic, recycled plastic. In the gold edition, your toilet paper will be made from hand-quilted spider silk. This can't be right! In the bronze edition, you will receive a block of wood with bristles and a baking soda solution for maintaining healthy teeth and gums. Here's a pro tip. You can use your own hair as dental floss. Yee! In the silver edition, you will receive...
4: Oh, my! I sat on the remote! It's
7: fast-forwarding. Um, uh, where's it down play button? Oh, oh, wait, there it is.
2: Part 5. Nourishment.
7: In the Bronze Edition, you will receive 24 cans, each containing one month's supply of beans. As a nifty space saver, the cans are first filled with fresh river water, then topped off with dehydrated beans. This way, you'll have your food and water in the same convenient package. Strainers and can openers will not be included. The Silver Edition will provide dried fruit and vegetable packets along with a 36-month supply of chicken noodle soup and 50 gallons of distilled water. The Silver Edition will provide dried fruit and vegetable packets along with a 36-month supply of chicken noodle soup and 50 gallons of distilled water. What? How is that even fair? Gold Edition buyers will be given 50 crates of freeze-dried astronaut dinners. Flavors include chicken on blue, lobster surprise, filet mignon, oysters, caviar, and steak. Cheese platters will be served on the side of every dish. Water will come in glass bottles, along with a complimentary water fountain with color-changing LEDs. This is ridiculous! I can't believe I wasted my cat's life insurance on this! What else is in this stupid thing? Gold edition shelters have been constructed by our teams ahead of time for you! You will be getting your maps and keys to access your top-secret bunker in the coming weeks. Complimentary bouncy castles and jacuzzis can be found next to the theater room behind the bowling alley. In the Silver Edition, you will get him and her matching gardening gloves. For prosperous crops, this edition includes an inflatable radiation-proof greenhouse. Part 33. Communication. Now pay attention, bronze buyers. Using two of your space saver nourishment cans, you can attach this six-foot string to each side to make an electricity-free telephone. As a special promotion, we will also be giving out 12-foot strings for long-distance calls. Gold edition weaponry includes six holy hand grenades, one hideaway moat, and... I can't
4: believe this! They didn't say anything about different editions on the website. How, how do I upgrade? I can't survive with any of the useless junk they're sending me... What are the shams of these sleazeballs running? I could have sworn she said something about expansion packs.
7: Additional accessories, such as a Holy Ghost decoder ring or a church box CD, can be purchased individually for $24.99 each. Please wait for our full accessory list. Ah! I don't want to hear
4: any more of this rubbish! Part 104. Expansion Packs.
7: Our hottest item is the Mr. Sparkle Party Pack. This little number comes with four sparkle suits, one disco ball, seizure-inducing strobe lights, and confetti poppers. It's fun for the whole family. I want my money back. This is an absolute outrage. I can't believe I fell for this ruse. This concludes our DVD presentation. If you have any questions, please call the number not located at the bottom of your screen. And remember that all payments are non-refundable and non-negotiable. Thank you and have a wonderful apocalypse.
0: listening to fighting for the faith could cause you to think that all those people claiming to be prophets and prophetesses are not they're not actually hearing from the holy spirit just a reminder fighting for the faith is listener supported radio that means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring fighting for the faith to into the world And you can partner with us. That's right. It's a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, well, you get to pick your rank in our crew. That's right. There are four ranks to choose from. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey, $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at $24.95 a month. Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. This is a great way to support us. It helps us have a... Well, a firm foundation financially so that we can budget properly and plan our next exploits, and yes, we are planning them. And, of course, if you would like to make a one-time contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208, and let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. Moving along... It really doesn't matter what I do, what I do, as As long long as I do it with a flair. What effect a little smoke is with a dash of hocus-pocus and the scent of burning sulfur in the air.
6: I'm a fraud, a hoke, a charlatan, a joke, but they love me
5: everywhere. For it really doesn't matter what I do, what I do. As long
0: as I do it with a flower. Yeah, that's right. So what we're going to be doing now is we're heading over to Faith Church in St. Louis. We're going to be listening to a gentleman we've never listened to before. As he tries to explain to us how we can receive and keep our healing. The name of the gentleman is Omar Morris. And um, it makes me wonder if uh, the reason they invited Omar to speak on this subject was... So that there wouldn't be video of, um, <laughs> yeah, the, the cranks, uh, Nicole Crank and uh, her husband uh, teaching along these lines. But uh, without any further ado, here is Omar Morris and how to receive your healing.
8: Teach tonight on a subject that is very, very dear to me, and is how to receive your healing.
0: Oh, how to receive. Your healing. How do- now, real quick? I mean, okay. If receiving our healing, the way he's going to talk about this is really what Scripture says. Then, well, don't you think that this would be a pretty simple, straightforward teaching that you can find in a clear text? You know, maybe like Second Ephesians or something like that. You know, and you know where the Apostle Paul writes, and the Lord our great and merciful, kind Savior has wanted to lay out again for you the steps that are needed for you to follow so that you can receive and hang on to your, and keep your healing, you know. And here, here are, here's how you go about receiving your healing. Don't you think if this was really a biblical teaching that we'd be able to go to a passage like that, a clear passage that lays this out?
8: Actually receive this stuff we pray about. How to receive it in your body where it's actually in manifestation in your body. Some of you guys know about this, and and, and some of the people have been in, in in the church for a while. It's going to be like a refresher course. But there's new people in here that need to hear this, and you need to know how to receive your healing and how to keep it. I said, how do you receive it and how to keep it?
0: Yeah, apparently you can lose it. You know, it it, it well. It's as easy to lose as your keys and or your cell phone. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what we need is like an app, okay? It's like, so if I lose my healing, you know, it's like you know, pull up one of those apps. It's like I've lost my healing again. Um, can I help, Can you help me locate and find my my healing? And maybe you can ping it. You know, you, you hit the button, and it goes Bing 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 Bing. Oh, there's my healing. It's over there. It's right. <laughs> it's underneath the couch. Oh man, it's a silly place for that to be. How to keep your healing?
8: As a born again believer, we have many benefits, and one of the benefits. That Jesus died for on the cross with His own blood is healing. Say healing.
0: You yeah. e- boy, that is a twisting, and I mean this. It is an absolute twisting of Isaiah fifty-three. The claim that that healing is taken care of in the atonement—no, that's not actually borne out in Scripture. Uh, this is a twisting of God's word here. Now, the Bible
8: says that healing is the children's bread. We have. Through the blood of Jesus, of course, we have salvation. Amen. How many excited that you're saved? I'm excited that you have eternal life. How many you're excited that you're going to heaven? Let me ask you this: Do you have your helmet of salvation on? You know what the helmet is, right? The helmet of salvation is knowing beyond any doubt that you are saved, that you are on your way to heaven, that there's a mansion being made and built custom made for you right now as we speak should be excited about that there's no section eight in heaven come on there's no tents in heaven you have a mansion in heaven sickness is part of the curse it's not god god does not institute sickness god
0: does not give sickness to anybody to teach us anything Uh uh-huh so God doesn't give sickness to anybody. Well, let's take let's let's just kind of test that out. Second Chronicles chapter twenty six. Now, are you familiar with the guy by the name of King Uzziah? Yeah, you think. Oh, that sounds familiar. Well, you remember in Isaiah chapter six, it says uh, that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Right. And so, in the robe of his train, filled the temple. And, oh, it's this great vision of Christ and of God on the throne. But, yeah, let's pay attention to some of the details regarding King Uzziah's life. Second Chronicles 26, 16. But when he was strong, this is King Uzziah, he grew proud to his destruction, for he was unfaithful to the Lord his God, and he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. But Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. And they withstood King Uzziah, and they said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to Yahweh, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was angry. And he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And when he became angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they rushed him out quickly, and he himself hurried to go out because the Lord had struck him. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And being a leper, lived in a separate house For he was excluded from the house of the Lord, and Jotham, his son, was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. Hmm, it sounds to me like Uzziah was struck with an illness to teach him a lesson. Hmm, that's weird. And then you have, well, this story. John chapter 9 says this, starting at verse 1, as Jesus passed by he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Well, it's not that this man sinned or his parents, uh, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Hmm, well, that's weird. I mean, here you have a fellow who spends the first half of his life blind, being born blind. And the purpose was, in order that the works of God might be displayed in him, huh, well, that's interesting, and if that's not enough, I would take a th- take a look at the red letters in the book of revelation- mm-hmm. Book of Revelation chapter two, verse nineteen. If you have a red letter edition of the Bible, then you'll note that this is Jesus speaking. Um, and he's speaking to one of the churches. I'll start at verse 18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works." Yeah, so here we have Jesus saying he's going to throw somebody onto a sickbed. So um, already we're off to a bad start, if you would. Omar Morris, he's making statements that, well, the scriptures flat out contradict. We continue.
8: So if you ever thought that, you know, I wasn't good and God is punishing me with sickness, it is not true. It's It's a lie from the pit of hell. The devil comes to kill. He comes to steal and to destroy.
0: Right, and, and I'd like to know, how do you explain what happened to King Uzziah again? How, how, could you explain that to me?
8: Jesus said, I came to give you life and more abundantly,
0: and that includes healing. It includes healing in your body. So it's not... Yeah, life and more that more abundantly, John 10, 10, out of context. So notice here, I asked the question going into this teaching. All right, if... If the Bible really teaches that there's certain things I need to do in order to receive and to keep my healing, which is weird, Um, if there's something I've got to do in order to receive and to keep my healing, why is he not just going to that clear text that lays out the steps that are needed and necessary for somebody to receive and to keep their healing? So, so far, he's made statements that are totally, Totally against and contrary to what Scripture really says. Um, He's quoting verses out of context. Yeah, he's engaging in proof texting Mm -hmm. in order to create the illusion that the Bible teaches this important doctrine of, you you know, learning how to receive your healing and how to keep it.
8: God is of the devil. And you don't have to allow sickness to take a hold of you. Why? Because the price has been paid in full by the very blood of Jesus. Let's say you had a a rich uncle and he uh, wanted to bless you with something. He bought you a refrigerator and he bought you a dryer and he bought you a a, a washing machine and he delivered you or had Sears delivered to your house and you have it as brand new. It surprised you. And and then when you went to, to look at the receipt, it said paid in full. How many of you know it would be stupid for you to go to Sears and charge put that on your charge if it's paid in full? So if sickness has been paid in full by the blood of Jesus, why do we put up with it? Why do we submit to it?
0: Yeah, that's weird because you haven't actually demonstrated that healing is part of the atonement you've made reference to it, you keep asserting that it is, but you haven't actually biblically demonstrated that that's the case. So, let's take a look at the passages in question. There are three in particular that are often pointed to. Uh, The most notable of them is Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6, which reads, Surely he, this is talking about Jesus, has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was... Pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so when you read well the passage in context, by his stripes, we are healed, the healing that is talking about, that it's talked about there is not physical healing. no, it's not physical healing at all. The thing that it's referring to is the healing caused by our sin, the separation from God as a result of our rebellion and sin against him. Now, this also then is quoted in First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 24, where it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed have been healed. And see here's the thing, and notice first Peter fits perfectly with the context of Isaiah 53, and the context of Isaiah 53 is not talking about physical healing. By his wounds you have been healed is referring to that we might die to sin. That's the issue. Now, the closest that they can really get is Matthew eighteen, uh, not 18, but Matthew 8, verses 16 and 17, that says this, that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. He cast out the spirits with the word, healed all those who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, that he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. But see, even there, that's not saying that, uh you know, our physical healing is promised in the atonement. The gist of Matthew eight seventeen is pointing out the fact that Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. So if healing is always guaranteed in the atonement, and all we have to do is learn how to use our words, stretch out with our faith, in order to activate our healing and to make it ours, then why does it say in Philippians chapter 2, verse 25, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, And your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and now not only on him, but also on me, also lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Yeah, you see, when you read in Scripture, I mean, Timothy had a stomach ailment. Paul says, you know, take some wine in order to ease your stomach problems. And then here we've got Epaphroditus. Poor fellow is near the point of death and almost died, but God had mercy on him. It doesn't say that, but that he stretched out and and claimed his healing because, I mean, after all, it's paid for in the atonement, right? Right. You get the point. So what Robert Morris is teaching here, and I mean this, this is the kind of doctrine that will cause somebody to despair. And the reason is quite simple. Well, you know, you get sick, and it just so happens to be the illness that's going to lead to your demise. Mm-hmm. It could be a long-term degenerative disease. It could be something that, well, comes up like cancer aggressively is killing you from the inside out. And if you believe, well, I've I got to stretch out and receive my healing and act in faith and all this kind of stuff. Uh huh. And then when it doesn't happen, well, who does the fault lie with? The fault lies with you. You clearly didn't have enough faith. Mm-hmm. The problem is not with you, though. The problem is with Omar. What he's teaching is not what the Bible says at all. The Bible says, resist the devil and he shall flee from you.
8: So sickness is from the devil. I want to make sure you. Yeah,
0: uh-huh. but Jesus sent it on Jezebel, right? Yeah. God sent it on Uzziah. Uh, It's just the weirdest thing. You know, sickness is from the devil. And yet I just gave three cogent examples of well illness and disease coming from God. Weird.
8: Sickness is not of God. It's of the devil. So you resist it. You don't have to put up with it. But sometimes in our benefit package that we have as believers and Christians, sometimes we don't receive that benefit too well. So that's why I want to talk about it tonight. How many know, when you get a new job. You don't only ask how much is your salary, but you inquire about the benefits. You inquire about what's it, do I have paid vacation? Is, uh, I have me, uh, medical insurance, maternity leave. Come on somebody, I don't ask for that. But maternity leave and you know, you have all these benefits and you wanna know your benefits. And how many know that when you find your benefits, you don't forget about your benefits. You're the first one to go to the boss or go to to um whatever, and you say, hey, you know, this this came with a package.
0: Right. See, it's it's right. It's just like a modern day example of, you know, benefits packages when you're an employee of a company. Yeah, don't you think that doesn't quite fit because benefits packages are quite the new thing here. So notice he's using a modern day concept to well, twist the scripture. Because watch where he goes with this next. And just ask yourself the question. In the biblical text that he's going to point to, does the word benefits mean the same thing as what he's talking about regarding these benefits packages that we have as employees?
8: This is one of my benefits. But you know, the Bible says in Psalms 103, and we're getting ready to read it, that God said that we would forget of our benefits with him. And here it is, Psalms 103 and verse 1. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits.
0: Don't forget them. And you know why the... Yeah, right. The reason why (laughs) Psalm... uh, This is awful. Psalm 103 says, forget not his benefits, is because you need to pay attention to the benefits package. You know you know and so uh, i mean when we twist isaiah 53 it says one of the benefits of the atonement is your healing so you don't want to forget the benefits package boy is this creative but it's flat out false
8: said don't forget him because he knew we would (laughs) that's why he said it don't forget the benefits we're saved we're going to heaven some people are like I i was teaching bible study the other day and this guy said I'm just glad I'm saved, man. I'm, I'm glad I'm making it in. I said, I said, you just glad you're on first base. You just slid right in. No, 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 no. There's victory on this side. I said, there's victory right here on earth on this side. God wants us to enjoy benefits that he has paid through the blood of Jesus. So there's much victory, much victory on this side. So don't forget your benefits. And it says who forgives us all of our iniquities how many know that's the blood that cleanses us from sin and who heals us from all your diseases I said all your diseases what disease does not all include
0: what disease does not all include the question is not what do, what disease does not all include the question is, when are we healed of all of our diseases? Because Christians, from the beginning, it's recorded even for us in the New Testament, have suffered from diseases and have died from them. So if the Lord is he- has healed us of all of our diseases, when do we experience that? Now or when Jesus returns in glory to judge the living and the dead and we're raised from the dead? Uh-huh. You see... There's a now and not yet part of the idea in Scripture, and that is is that we are saved now, but yet we still die. Jesus says, even though you believe in me, you will never die, and yet we physically die. So in what sense is it talking about there? Healed of all diseases. Is that a promise for the here and now? We just need to decree and declare it? Well, he's not paying attention to how Scripture interprets Scripture, and many of the passages that we've already cited well, are at odds with him and how he's um, using them, is the best way I, I could put it. But we continue uh, with this uh, fascinating false teaching. That
8: includes cancer. That includes AIDS. Yeah. That includes things that the doctors are scratching their head right now. They don't understand. But God heals. He is in the healing business. Yeah. He will heal you. Yeah. And I'm going to teach you how to receive your healing by faith. Because everything you receive from God, you must receive it by faith, is the only way. Now, he, the next two scriptures we, we quoted, I want you to memorize this. I want you to actually go home and try memorizing this in the next um, two weeks. <coughs> um, Isaiah 53 and 5, we quote that like crazy, it says, But he was wounded. He, who was he? Jesus. Jesus. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. It says we what? Are healed. Does it say we're going to be healed? It says we are. What tense is we are? That's present tense. Right now. So you are healed right now. Well, Pastor Omar, I don't understand. If you said I'm healed and the Bible says I'm healed, why do I feel sick? That a good question, right? So if I feel sick, I must be sick, right? Wrong. That's wrong. If you feel sick, that means there's symptoms that are attacking your body that are trying to cause you to believe that you're not healed. And they want the, the symptoms which the, which the enemy sends to you. And I'm not saying they're false. You could, put it, you could go and take uh, the blood, your blood and put it in a microscope, microscope and you could see the virus. You could see the bacteria. But that bacteria has no right to live in your body. It's there as an illegal alien. And how many of you know if you have a thief that comes in your house and he needs to be cast out? Through the police, through your own weapon through your karate or something. You need to get rid of the thief because the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So if sickness manifests
0: in your body, don't submit to it. Amen. Resist it. Yes. So if sickness manifests in your body, you got to resist it, man. It's, uh-huh, yeah, but it's weird. Which biblical text says that when sickness manifests itself in our bodies, we are to resist it? James says that if you're sick, you call the elders and they'll anoint you with oil and pray for you. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's totally different. Come on, you guys got to get this tonight. Resist it!
8: Don't submit to it! I
0: yeah, tell... so. Whatever you do, don't submit to sickness. Again, no scripture says to not submit to it. Kids, I said, don't
8: wait. Sometimes they wait two or three days and tell me they don't feel good. I said, come on now, you know better than that. Don't wait. When you feel a symptom, attack it right away.
0: Right. You got to attack those symptoms. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh.
8: Attack it. How do you attack? it? I'm going to tell you how to attack it in a second. But you attack it right away. How do you attack it? With the word of God. How do you attack it? If you have to take medicine, use the supernatural and use the natural. Use both of them at your disposal. Amen. Amen. Come on. Christians are smart, right? We're smart people, right? If you have a headache. But see, sometimes what we do is we go to the natural side first. Immediately. And we do not develop our faith when it comes in uh, receiving healing by God. So we'll, we'll go, we'll run to the cabinet, get two ibuprofens, drink it, took care of it. Cool. We're done. But see, when you, when you grow in the supernatural and you train yourself and, and your faith is high in those areas you will you will pray and then go to the cabinet and pretty soon if you continue to do that you'll find out that you don't have to go to the cabinet
0: Be- uh, right yeah apparently so you don't need to you know cuz you know you, you all this is taken care of uh huh your faith you by faith you received your healing amen yes. uh no you know by faith i received my healing no when i'm sick i pray god have mercy on me forgive me Please heal me. I'm not feeling well. And he may choose to heal me through the doctors. He may choose to heal me over time or whatever. He may choose that he may not heal me, and I might be dead in the morning, you know. That's all God's prerogative. But the thing is, is that, again, I'm just going to note this. The things he's saying to do, Scripture doesn't say to do. Scripture doesn't say claim your healing, declare it by faith, receive it by faith, hang on to it with your words and things like that. And Scripture doesn't even teach that um, that you know, healing is taken care of in the atonement. The, the passages he went to, well, they, he's twisted them without any pay, without paying attention to how Scripture interprets Scripture. The question again I have is if if this is really a biblical teaching why is he not going to the biblical text that just lays this out clearly that all you have to do if you're sick is to reach out with your faith and activate your healing and all that kind of stuff well the reason why he's not doing this is because scripture doesn't teach that and so again this is uh word of faith heresy stuff this is you know c- the claim that somehow you have healing in the atonement, and what happens when it, this doesn't work? Because God's word doesn't promise this to you. What happens? Well, you end up b- basically putting on airs, huh? I'm not, I do. I'm not sick. I'm not gonna submit, to those to those symptoms because it's from the devil. Because God never gives sickness. Yeah, and, and, and it's just absurd. This is the mind science theology. This isn't Christian doctrine. This is a false teaching that ultimately leads to despair because when you don't get healed, uh, the person who's always to blame is you. You just didn't have enough faith to activate your healing, to claim it, and to keep it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. We're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pyrochristian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Pyro Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we have a sermon from uh, Church of the Highlands. Tommy Barnett, uh, elder statesman in evangelicalism, will be presiding to teach us how to leave a legacy. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. For additional savings. Again, FightingForTheFaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today.
6: Oi, Captain! We got ourselves a heretic! (laughs) (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth?
4: Jesus died to make us rich.
6: (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box? No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. (laughs) To err is to heretic. To r is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game refermanda and join the fight for the faith today
0: alright we're back hour number two of fighting for the faith sermon review time gotta do this right though bad the ugly we review it all here at fighting for the faith we're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service today's sermon comes to us via church of the highlands and uh... tommy burnett presiding this uh... sermon is titled how to leave a legacy and like i've been saying it demonstrates that um, bible twisting is no respecter of age yeah even if you're an elder statesman in evangelicalism You can buy into false teaching and false doctrine and a false emphasis in Scripture and get up and deliver a message that really is not Christian. So I think you get the point. So let me back off on the music. And without any further ado, here is Tommy Barnett and How to Leave a Legacy. All right.
5: Thank you. Come on, give Jesus a real good time could do better than that. Come on, come on, come on. Yeah, that's better. Now, before you're seated, turn to the one beside you and say, you look like you've been working out. Come on. <laughs> well, don't you feel better already? <laughs> what a joy it is to be at one of the world's greatest churches. Wow. You know what? You're you're a bunch of spoiled brats. How many of you know that? (laughs) Really, truly, this is literally one of the great churches of the world. Don't you ever get used to it? If you do, God may give it to somebody else. And, of course, led by a great man of God, truly, one of the greatest men I've ever known. I love Pastor Chris so very much. What a friend he is, been of ourself, of the Dream Center. What a friend you are as a church to us and our ministries, as you have poured into our ministry like few churches ever have. In short, I love you, and I thank God for you. I can say a lot of good things about you, but how many it's okay if I just get to preaching? Let me see your hand right now. I've got a lot to say. Forgive me this morning if I'm a little extra sentimental. You see, last week I turned 79 years of age, You heard I've been preaching for 63 years, been married to the same woman for 53 years, have preached over 18,000 messages in my lifetime. Matter of fact, I've gotten 9 million miles just on American Airlines. Amen. So this morning, I'm going to do something very unusual. I checked with your pastor. He liked the idea. I'm not going to preach you a message. But this morning is going to be more of an impartation.
0: I hear a lot of young preachers. A, a what? An impartation? A
5: self-made man. But I'm not a self-made man. You see, when you look at Tommy Barnett, you see a little bit of Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts.
0: Why are you preaching about yourself? That's weird. You see, when you look at Tommy
5: Barnett, you see a little bit of Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts used to come to visit me every year for a week. We'd play golf in the daytime and get in the Word at night. And he poured faith into me. So when you see Tommy Barnett, you see a little of the faith that Oral Roberts poured into me. When you see Tommy Barnett, you also see a little bit of Dr. Cho. Been on his board for many, many years. He poured into me church growth.
0: How important the church of Jesus. Yangi Cho, uh, false prophet.
5: Great church. When you look at Tommy Barnett, you see
0: a little of Herschel
5: Barnett. My wonderful daddy was an innovating preacher. Matter of fact, he is looked at as the father of the bus ministry. He taught me how to go out and bring people to the house of God and reach out to the poor and hunter. You see, you are looking at a man who's a product of those who imparted and poured into our life. So today, following the theme of this special series, I'm gonna speak to you on the subject of how to leave a legacy. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask not for the privilege of preaching a great message, But I have a great truth that needs to be offered to this congregation. I pray that you will take my mind and my spirit and anoint it with your Holy Spirit for your glory. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen.
0: Several years ago... Hmm. Why don't you just, you know, open a biblical text and exegete it? yeah that's what we pastors are called to do. We're called to, you know, preach the word, which doesn't require any you know anything other than good prep work with the biblical text. Um, yeah, so we we've got a problem here. We continue. Several years ago, when I attended Southeastern,
5: rather Southwestern Bible Institute, I sat in the chapel one day. And we had a special speaker. Now, I'll be honest with you, he wasn't a very good speaker. He was kind of boring. But he read from Jude chapter 22. And it went this way, and some having compassion, making a difference. And then he followed up with the words, you can make a difference in the world. Uh,
0: You you do know what Jude is about, right? Jude is about false teachers in warning us of those who twist God's word. Uh, <laughs> making a difference. Jude verse 22 from a, the, a good translation reads, Have mercy on those who doubt. Verse 23. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. What are you reading?
5: I thought to myself, I could never make a difference in the world. You see, I grew rather late. No one took me very serious. I couldn't go over to the girls till I was about 20 because the only ones that were smaller than me were in the nursery department. (laughs) But this guy had the audacity to say that I could make a difference in the world. But he was a wise man and he followed up by saying, you may not be able to make a difference in the world. But you can make a difference in your world. And I said, I can do that.
0: The bell rang, chapel was over, everybody's. You are aware that the Great Commission is go and make disciples, not make a difference. Scampled
5: off to their classes, but I fell on my knees at the front row and I prayed this prayer God, I'm not much. I may not be as talented as the rest of these students, but I make a vow to you, God. I will do my best to make a difference in my world. My world was very small at that time. I would go out on weekends to little outreach churches, 50 to 100. But I graduated and went to Davenport, Iowa, to pastor 76 of the meanest Christians you've ever seen in your life. (laughs) Just to get enough inspiration to preach, I had to quote that scripture, Be not dismayed by their faces. They used to say, we don't have quantity, we have quality. That's the dumbest thing you've ever said. (laughs) If you have quality, you'll do what you ought to do and you'll be what you ought to be. But I did my very best at that little church. God began to bless it. We grew from 76 to over 4,000, became the largest mega church at that time in the country. One of the first mega churches.
0: I had a part in John. Boy, he sure does. Preach a lot about himself, do you have a biblical text that you would like to exegete so that we can hear from God and how great he is and how great Christ is and the good works that Jesus has done for us um you you, you like Yo Yi Cho seem to be obsessed with preaching about yourself honeyikash's conversion,
5: so I invited him to our city to hold up a big world conference we would Matter of fact, we caught the world's greatest Sunday school held on Sunday morning in the baseball stadium. And Johnny Cash came. He brought all of his entourage. He brought his two trucks. He brought everything. And I'm telling you, he didn't charge us one penny. And that day, I preached to over 30,000 people. At the invitation, he sang, Come home, come home. It's supper time. And over 6,000 people walked forward to accept Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. And my world got a lot bigger, a lot bigger. One morning after seeing God move in a great way, I woke to find that I'd lost the conscious presence of God. It wasn't that God had left me. You see, it was really that God loved me because when he loves me, the best way he gets my attention when I get cold is he withdraws the conscious presence of God. It doesn't mean he isn't there, but I'm just not conscious of it. So I begin to fast and pray. During that time, I received an invitation to come and speak and try out for a church in Phoenix, Arizona, a church that ran 200 people, a church that was known as a preaching, killing church that had six pastors in the last 10 years. When I got the invitation, I threw in the waste pacer basket and said, get behind me, Satan. Amen. (laughs) But the Lord said, if you want my presence back, I want you to go and at least scout it out.
0: And I did. Uh, What did the Lord say to you? If you want my presence back? What? No biblical text thus far, um, except for a twisting of Jude verse 22. And now direct revelation.
5: When it was over and I was on my way home, I thought, Thank you, Jesus. This is over. And God said, No. If you want my presence back, I want you to take that invitation. And I left the church of 4,000 and I went to Phoenix and a revival broke out. The church began to grow till we built an auditorium that would seat 6,500.
0: I had no idea that Church of the Highlands is part of the NAR. Sounds like it is, doesn't it?
5: God moved in such a great way during that time. Many of you heard about the Easter pageant. Over 100,000 people in 15 performance came. And my world got bigger. When one day, a leader from Southern California came and said, Pastor, we believe that God is calling you to leave Phoenix, Arizona and come to Los Angeles. I felt like saying, get behind me, Satan. Amen. We have nothing to offer you, he said, but a great opportunity. We have no money. We have a little bitty church, but a great opportunity. How many of you hate those great opportunities? <laughs> I remember as they flew me over the city in a jet helicopter. And the men flying me over is one of the wealthy people of Southern California. He said, you see that area down there? There's over a million Koreans that live in that area. We flew a little further. He said, there's 750 Jewish Orthodox Jews that live in this area. And he began to point out of the pockets of hundreds of of people at the most diverse city in the world. And he said, Pastor, this is what you can do. As I looked down, I thought to myself, how could I ever make an impression on this city? 25 million people in the LA area. I'd be like a little bitty ant in a mohill. How do you even advertise in a city like this? And suddenly, God brought the words back of that old preacher who said, if you'll make a difference in your world, then maybe God can use you to make a difference in the world. I learned something that day, that I would do my best to make a difference in my world. Maybe God could use me to make a difference in the world. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk about making a difference, because if you make a difference in the world, you will leave a legacy. So let's dive right in. I want to give you several points that I believe from experience.
0: Um, am I sinning if I don't want to leave a legacy? I mean, you do understand that most people who live and die, um, they're pretty much well forgotten yeah, within a few years after their death. And then of course you know, the generation of people who knew them, you know, once they all die, yeah. Very few people, very few people who've ever lived or spoken of, you know, having names in the history books and things like that, you know. That'll
5: help you make a legacy in the world. Number one. If you want to leave a legacy, you gotta have a sense of humor.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, do you have a biblical text for that? Some people actually think that I have a sense of humor, and um, this isn't tickling my funny bone here. Uh, You're supposed to be preaching the word. Uh, Where in the Bible does it say, if I have a sense of humor, I can leave a legacy?
5: You see, that's a stranger. What's a sense of humor? It's the ability to be able to laugh at yourself. And if you don't think that people are funny, just look in the mirror. Amen. If you don't believe that people are funny, look at the one beside you right now. Come on. That'll make you laugh right there. Amen. You see, when you go through life and you reach out to your dream, sometime it's not pleasant. Adversity comes.
0: reach out to my dream. Uh, okay. Are you, you sure this has something to do with the Bible? You got to learn to laugh.
5: You got to learn to have a sense of humor. You know, I love pageants and we have this big pageant at our church every year. I mentioned, and, uh, we have live animals. We have uh, camels and monkeys and tigers, actually real ones, and an elephant. It's quite a thing. People come from all over to see it. Well, in the early days, I wanted to have live animals, but I didn't have the money for all these exotic animals. So I thought, I want to have some sheep in the shepherd's scene, But there were no sheep in that area. Those farmers just didn't have sheep. I wonder what can I do? And I was walking down the street one day, and I saw men with three big, giant poodles that had not been sheared. And I said, "Those look like sheep to me, amen." So I got me a bunch of those animals, and I blew them up, you know, real good with it. And man, I had them looking like sheep. I put them in the shepherd's scene. Things were going well. I had them all fooled until they started barking, amen. It pays to have a sense of humor. Could you say amen for that? Number two, if you want to leave a legacy in the world, you need a compelling dream. You see, a dream will lift you out of yourself into another self that is greater than yourself. And you'll never know what your capacity is until you have a dream. There are people in this building who have a dream. You don't dare tell anybody because you're afraid they will laugh at your dream.
0: Yeah. um, Where in the Bible does it say I, I need to have a dream? I'm a little confused about that particular application step. Are you sure this is a biblical teaching?
5: But you would be willing to give everything that you have, all of your resources. You'd be willing to give your life and your time and even die for this dream.
0: Die for the dream rather than, you know, give your life for Christ. You know, things like that. Yeah.
5: If you were sure that it was not your dream, but it was God's dream. Let me just quickly give you three ways that you can be sure if it's God's dream. Number one, is your dream bigger than you?
0: Uh Where in the Bible does it say if my dream is bigger than me, then that proves it's From God. Is it so
5: big that everybody knows that if you pull it off, it had to be God because you're not that hot? And God gets the glory?
0: Sounds so pious, but no biblical text says any of this nonsense. Is
5: your dream so big that there's no way it can come about unless God was involved? You know, everybody's got a big dream, and we think that's okay. Steinberger. To build Yankee Stadium and spend a billion dollars. That's okay. That's the Yankees. Steven Spielberg can make a movie, costing a $100 million. That's okay. That's the movies. I read the other day that Las Vegas is building a casino that costs $2 billion. And people say, that's okay. They can do it. It's Las Vegas. But you let a man of God get a big dream. And people will say, let's pray that God will humble that brother. He needs a work of grace within his life.
0: Uh, Again, do you have any biblical texts that teach any of this nonsense? Because so far all I'm hearing are man-made doctrines.
5: Let me tell you, the pastor that's going to read the entrepreneurs, the movers and shaker in his city, is going to have to have a dream that is bigger than those people. Because we've got a God that's able to do exceedingly abundantly above.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, misquoting Ephesians isn't going to help you here.
5: Is your dream bigger than you? Number two, you can be sure it's God's dream if you can't let it go.
0: Mm, yeah, um, which text says that? You see, dreams are
5: elusive. At first, you have to hold tenaciously to that dream. But there comes a time that you get tired of holding on and you let go of the dream, but the dream won't let go of you. The Bible says you are now a prisoner of the great hope. And what you're a prisoner to, you're tied to, you're chained to. You can't let it go. If it's God's dream, there comes that day you get tired and you let it go, but the dream won't let go of you. It's been said that if you keep a dream for five years, the dream will come to pass.
0: The yeah, where, where is that said? Oh, it's not said in the Bible, right? Yeah. Most
5: people can't keep a dream for five years. Discouragement comes. The naysayers come. The people say that we can't afford it or we've never done it that way before.
0: Yeah, this is such a uh, relevant sermon, you know, uh, relevant if. The only thing that Christianity cares about is the here and the now. But it's weird because none of this is actually biblical. And in order to be biblically relevant, uh, let me ask you, um, when you're standing before Jesus on the day of judgment, do you think he's going to say, you know, why didn't you have a big dream? Do you think this sermon is going to have any relevance on the day that Jesus returns in glory to judge the living and the dead? And you're actually going to stand before him. Do do you think that this has any relevance whatsoever to that coming imminent return of Christ?
5: Our delay comes. That's a big one. But the Bible says, though the vision tarries, it will come to pass if you faint not. You know how long I had a dream for the dream Center before.
0: Yeah, you've just misquoted Habakkuk chapter 2. Yeah, yeah, this guy is just a veritable slot machine of, uh, you know, just put in the coin and out comes a a twisted Bible text. Amazing. It came
5: to pass. Forty years. I drove by Angelus Temple as a young man. I looked at the temple, and God spoke to me and said, someday you're going to be the pastor of Angelus Temple.
0: Mm, So God told you that, huh? Yeah. Boy, this guy hears a lot from God. We're hearing nothing of God's word rightly handled, which kind of begs the question, why should I believe that God speaks to this person when every time he opens his mouth to handle a biblical text, he twists it and mangles it to say something it doesn't say?
5: I said, God, you really miss God on that one, amen? I'm assemblies of God, and they're four square, and we have no dealings one with another. Isn't that pitiful, Amen. We're drawn together today by relationships. Come on, say a good amen. The dream now has come to pass. But most people won't wait 40 years. But if you're going to leave a legacy, number three, you got to make every day a masterpiece.
0: Right. Ha- have you made every day a masterpiece? Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. Looking back over the past few weeks, None of them were masterpieces. Most of them, <laughs> rough sketches, yeah, hastily drawn. Yeah, I wouldn't hang that in an art museum, no.
5: Johnny Wooden, the great basketball coach for UCLA, the winningest coach in history.
0: Who was not one of Jesus' apostles. I'm just saying, Wooden actually doesn't show up in the New Testament.
5: He wrote a book in which he tells a story that when he was a boy, his dad told him to approach every day like it was a blank canvas to paint on. And that day he would paint a masterpiece by the way that he lived, that he presented to God at the end of the day. I just decided that I'm going to approach every day as if it's a new day.
0: Aren't you amazing? Yeah, all glory be to you.
5: It's God's masterpiece. And people who a legacy make every day a masterpiece. Number three. If you're going to, number four, if you're going to leave a legacy, you've got to learn to enjoy the trip.
0: Right. Yeah. You can find this in Fifth Hesitations, chapter 96. Yeah.
5: Because did you realize that the joy is not the destination? The joy is in the climbing. That's where the joy is. But here's what we do. I see pastors and entrepreneurs so Intent on reaching the destination that they fail to enjoy the trip. You see, revival is really no fun. When God sends revival, it cuts, it hurts, it convicts. The joy of revival is the preparation for revival, the prayer, the fasting, the fellowship of knowing God. You got to learn. To enjoy the trip. I made up my mind years ago that I wanted to reach the world for Christ, but I wasn't, going to reach, I wasn't going to lose my children. I was going to go to all their ball games. At five o'clock, I was going home, and I just let the church take care of itself. I spent time with my children. I went to all their ball games. I, I cheered louder than anybody. I booed louder than anybody because the empire deserves that. Come on, say a good amen out there. I made up my mind I was going to take life like I take a wash rag and squeeze every drop out of it. You're looking at the happiest old man you've ever seen. I'm enjoying the trip to the destination. Number five, you're going to leave a legacy. Whatever you want in life to get it, you got to give it away. If you want joy, just spread joy wherever you go. If you want peace, promote peace to everybody you see. If you want money, then be gracious and give. If you want to gain weight, if you want to gain muscle, you got to give away energy. And it will come back pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Several years ago, a lady came in my office for counseling. She sat down on the sofa, and I said, what can I do for her? She said, Pastor, I think I'm having a nervous breakdown. How can I, how can I avoid this nervous breakdown? I said, i got the solution. I want you to go home and bake some cookies. She said, what does that have to do with my nervous breakdown? She was irritated. I said, then take those cookies down to the convalescent home and give it to those people. She got mad. Hmm. What does that do with my nervous breakdown? She got up, walked out mad, just left me. I see her church and she tried to avoid me. I see her on the other side of the building. And I go, and she, go <laughs> she avoided me. One day I came around the hall, almost ran right into her. And I said, excuse me. Hey, by the way, how's your nervous breakdown coming? <laughs> she said, I canceled it. I said, what'd you do? I baked some (laughs) cookies. Nobody has a right to live in self-pity when there's so much hurt in the world. So many people that you can pour into as vessels and change their life and your life to be changed while doing that.
0: Yeah, it's all up to you. yeah, you you. I don't. I didn't even think you need God for this sermon. I you could be an atheist and apply some of these steps. Um, yeah, except for the receiving direct revelation part. You know.
5: I don't know this congregation real well, but I want to tell you, the happiest people in this building are the people who live for others. It is said of David that he served his generation in the will of God. And then he fell upon sleep. One time he was running for his life. And little Abigail, the servant, looked at him and said, David, you got a bundle full of life. And he was running for his life. But he had that joy within his heart.
0: Yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about. Because when I read the story of David... In uh, First and Second Samuel, it doesn't sound any like any of this. It's like you're just making stuff up. Why aren't you opening up God's Word and exegeting a biblical text so that people can really hear what God has really said and revealed in His Word?
5: There was a young lady at the Dream Center who served very faithful, and now after a year of service, she was going back home. She was surprised when they bumped her from coach up to first class. She didn't know why, but she found herself sitting by a man in his 60s. Later, she found out he was a Jewish man who lived in London. who was probably worth near a billion dollars. They talked and she told of her experience at the Dream Center and a tear came in his eyes. He said, that sounds like a place I need to go visit. So she arranged a tour. As I took him through the tour that day, He was greatly moved. We went to the service immediately from the tour. And that night when I gave the invitation, a man came forward and weeping and crying, accepted Jesus Christ. He was so on fire for God. He would fly once a month from London to LA to attend his church. And we can't get some people across the street. Amen. (laughs) One day he texted me and said, I want to talk to you before church tonight. I thought, boy, if that guy can fly that far to church, the least I can do is to meet with him. So before church, he said, pastor, I saw a movie and I thought about you when I saw it. It's called The Bucket List. (laughs) He said, pastor, he told me the story. It's two men. They're dying with cancer. They're in the same hospital room. One's rich one is very poor. They're depressed. When one day the rich man comes in and he sees a piece of legal pad that is watered up. He said, what's this? And he picks it up and opens it up. Across the top it said, bucket list. And then it said, jump out of an airplane. Climb the Himalayas. Swim with the sharks. Kiss the most beautiful girl in the world. And he said to the poor man, what is this? He said, well, that was the things I wanted to do. Before I kick the bucket, before I die. And the rich man is played by Mickelson. And he got that smile and said, what are you talking about? I got the money. I got the jets. We're going to live at least one more year, they say. Let's do your bucket list. And the rest of that movie is about those two old codgers jumping out of airplanes. Swimming with the sharks, trying to climb in and trying to kiss the most beautiful girl in the world.
0: Uh Uh-huh, yeah, because that's what Christianity is all about. You know, making sure that you tick off all the, you know, lines on your bucket list. Right.
2: He
5: said, Pastor, when I saw this movie, I thought of you. He said, I've got the jets. I've got all the money in the world. Money is no object. I want you to make a list of your bucket list, anything you want to do. Money's no object. And you and I will do it, but don't wait too long because we're getting older. Let's do your bucket list. (laughs) I promised him I would do it. What do you do when a man gets an opportunity to do
2: anything, no money, nothing barred? So I sat down with a legal pad. I put bucket list and I thought, what do I want to do? And I thought,
0: Um, properly exegete a biblical text? You might want to do that before you die.
5: And I said, I don't want to jump out of an airplane. The Bible said, lo, I am with you all
0: (laughs) Oh, such a funny joke. Yeah, right. Yeah, he's entertaining these people all the way to hell. I don't want to drive a race car. It's bad enough
5: driving with my wife. Amen. And I've already kissed the most beautiful girl in the world. If I kill her, kiss another one, she'll kill me. Amen. And I thought,
2: and I thought, and I thought. And for the life of me,
5: I couldn't think of anything I'd rather do. And rescue another little girl from human trafficking. And take her to the dream center. Then feeding another hungry child.
2: Then taking a homeless
5: family. Sleeping in their car off of the street. Then reaching out to another gang member or a drug addict. Or someone dying with AIDS. And I bowed my head and I prayed, oh God. If I get too old to do this. If my mind is not strong enough and my body's too weak and I can't preach the gospel and do what I'm doing, God, I pray
2: that you'll just take me on to heaven. Because what is there to live for? If you can't
5: serve your generation while you're here in the will of God, which takes me to number seven. If you want to leave a legacy, you've got to enlarge your circle of love.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's how you leave a le- Just enlarge your circle of love. Yeah, right, yeah. No <laughs> biblical text teaches any of this legacy stuff. He's just kind of winging it, you know.
5: Here's what we do. We draw such little circles. And if we don't watch it, we'll exclude so many people outside of our circle of love. Do you ever stop to think why the little girl gets the abortion? It's not because she doesn't love her baby. It's not because she doesn't have a sanctity of life. But maybe she would like to take that baby and fall on the mercy and grace of God to forgive her and to be shut out of our circle of love when she has the baby. Anybody that I shut out of my circle of love, don't miss this, will hurt me.
0: So apparently it's not sin. It's just because they've been shut out of a circle of love. That's what's causing all of these murders of the unborn, right?
5: But anybody I include in my circle of love will never hurt me. I'm so glad that God
2: included me in his circle of love. Number Eight, if you want to leave a legacy?
5: Never catch up with your dream
0: uh, yeah, what does that sentence even mean?
5: When I turned the church over to my son i'd had a a leaky valve. they discovered not heart, not an attack, but a leaky valve, so they had to have a heart operation, took my heart out, repaired it, put it back in. And I went through three months of really depression. I've never been depressed in my life. No one told me in advance, but that's part of the process. When you have a heart operation, sometime you're depressed. I begin to heal up, and I begin to sit on the front row of the church. I made my son the lead pastor, and I sit there. I begin to get well, and I begin to get strong. And I thought, I feel better than I've ever felt in my life. And I thought, I always preach that a man should never catch up with his dream. I've got
2: to get another dream. So I did.
5: You know what my dream is? My dream is to help other people reach their dream. This afternoon, I'll fly to New York to catch a plane to Russia, Siberia, Russia. I'll preach there two days helping pastors reach their dream. And the next two days, I'll be in Moscow at a conference of 5,000 pastors helping them reach their dream.
0: Mm, right, yeah. Rather than helping them be faithful in their exegesis, you're going to point, take their eyes off of Christ and teach them this nonsense, as if this is really what the Bible teaches, when the Bible doesn't teach any of this. I mean, talk about great commission creep. I mean, this is probably one of the worst examples I've ever seen of it.
5: You see, people ask me, Pastor Barnett, do you still have big dreams Yes, they're so big I don't tell my congregation because they get depressed because they got to pay for them. Amen.
0: I'm sure they do.
5: One of the pastors asked me, Pastor, if you could live your life over again, is there anything that you would have done different? I had to think about that because MacArthur once said, General MacArthur, That you can tell if a man is old or young. Whether he looks at the sunrise. Or the sunset. I've always been a sunrise looker. But I force myself. To look at the sunset. Yes. There are two things. That I would have done different. If I could live my life over again. Here it is. Number one. I would have dreamed bigger dreams. And number two. I would have taken bigger risk. You see, I used to preach that before you had any.
0: I, 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 right? He's preaching about himself. I, is, is Jesus going to make like a cameo appearance in this sermon?
5: You had to see it. You had to see it in your mind. If you believe, you'll see the glory of God. It's a great principle. You have to see it before you see it. But that's not completely right. Because I'm seeing things in my life I never prayed for. I never asked God for. I never dreamed that I'd ever see. For he's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above. Any dream, any imagination, any thought that you you might have. And number nine, if you're going to be a legacy you got to learn to do the unusual. In all of the 63 years that I've been preaching the Bible, I have never found one time where somebody did what they normally do.
0: And- Wait, what? You, you preach the, uh, the Bible? I haven't heard you do that yet.
5: And God moves supernaturally within their life. You see, God never moves when we do what we usually do. God moves when we do the unusual.
0: Says which biblical text?
5: The entire Bible is full of stories like that. Remember the woman. She was caught in the act of adultery. They came and threw her down in the town square. And the young men stood with a rock in their head. Ready to bash her brains out. When something unusual happened. These young men didn't want to be a part associated. Because they might be associated as being a part of that situation. And be killed. But a young man. In his thirties knelt down. And he wrote in the dust. I don't know what he wrote, but when he looked up, the men were gone. And he said to her, Where are your accusers? And he said, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. He did the unusual. I'm trying to tell you that when we see somebody that is in poverty, Somebody that's hungry, we do the unusual. We feed them. We find somebody that's been trapped by sex trafficking. We plant a place for them. We build a dream center. We feed, we clothe, we reach out for them. We are unusual people. Remember the man of the Bible who was blind?
0: Yeah, I guess Jesus did make a cameo appearance. Uh, but he's back to preaching about himself again.
5: And Jesus came and made a paste in the dust of his bill. And you don't mess with a man's eyes who's blind. They're very sensitive. But he did the unusual, and he put mud in his eyes. And he said, go wash your eyes. And the man had sight. When we do the unusual.
0: Uh, when we do the, the... So the whole point of Jesus healing the man born blind is to teach us the example of how to do the unusual? What? That God does the
5: extraordinary. Remember the man in the Bible who had impediment of speech? And he came to the man of God. And the man of God said, let me put my finger in your mouth. I'm not suggesting you do that, amen. You but he put his finger in his mouth. And the man instantly had perfect speech.
0: Yeah, so that means just do something unusual and then God will do something miraculous, apparently.
5: But my favorite of all is down in 1 Kings chapter 3. Let me tell you what was usual. Let me tell you what was the norm. The norm was to bring one lamb sometime, maybe two. But that was unusual. But Solomon came to the place of offering a sacrifice. And let me read it to you. Verse 4. Now the king went to Gibeon. To sacrifice there. For it was the great high place. Solomon offered 1,000 burnt offerings on the altar. Can you imagine how that blew the priest's mind? Think about it.
0: So we're using our imagination to rightly understand a text. Uh huh.
5: Usually they bring one, but they kept coming the lambs, the bullocks, the goats. It was like an army being poured into them. He comes with a thousand offerings. Now, the priest did not know what to do. But look at verse five. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream. And God said, ask what I should give you. Now, usually when God speaks, he tells you what he wants you to do for him. But when they did the unusual sacrifice,
0: yeah, see, you've you got to do an unusual sacrifice, and then God will talk to you. Notice uh, he's taking a descriptive text and turning it into a prescription. God said,
5: you just ask me. You command me what you want. When we do the unusual sacrifice.
0: No text says this, including the one he's referencing. God does the
5: extraordinary. Now, I'm sure people said, Solomon has run his herd. He gave the best, 1,000. He sold his wealth away. Two years later, in 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 63, and Solomon offered a sacrifice, a peace offering. Now, they're coming to the temple now to offer it, and it is the dedication of the temple, which he offered to the Lord, 22,000 bulls and 100 and 20,000 sheep. So all the kings and all the children of Israel dedicated the house of God. 22,000 bullocks and 120,000 sheep. 144,000 sacrifices. And some of you are going to give in a special offering here. An offering that goes to other one of the purest offerings I've ever heard of. <laughs>
0: Uh-huh. So now we've switched subjects to uh what the people at Church of the Highlands need to give.
5: To bless ministries in town, to bless home missions, to bless all the ministries that this church does. It's unheard of, it's an unselfish offering. We are always the blessing of that at the dream center. We're blessed by this offering as you pour in to others unto others. But some of you need to plan right now. To give the most unusual offering, maybe.
0: Right, you want God to talk to you. You've got to give an unusual. uh, It's got to be unusual, yeah.
5: The largest gift that you've given to others. Maybe you have a need. You kind of want to sow into that need. When we do the unusual sacrifice.
0: Yeah, when we do it. Yeah, it's just, you know, like that. uh. Then God shows up. Right, yeah, see, God won't show up until you do the unusual sacrifice. Says no biblical text anywhere. Father, I just
5: want to pause my sermon. I got one more point, Lord. But I want to pray for these people right now. People that have been blessed. People that have seen addition in their life. But God, maybe you'd like to send multiplication in their lives. May they may move by... Doing the
2: unusual. And the last point, I'm done.
5: If you want to leave a legacy, you need to have a vision of the finish line.
0: Right, yeah, you got to vision the finish line thingy. Right, yeah, that's next. That's in the same book as the other things he made up. It's not in the Bible, but yeah.
5: Remember in the Bible? How important that was?
0: No, I'm not familiar with any of the stories where that was so vital. Peter, he saw Jesus dying on the cross. Cue sappy music. Yeah, yeah, this is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is now descending on the audience, getting ready to do business with
5: them. Peter had visions of grandeur. Jesus would set up his kingdom. But now Jesus is dying. His blood is being shed. And now he cries, it is finished, and he's dead. What did Peter say? He said, I go fishing. He was a fisherman before. But when his dream died, he went that
0: Right, yeah. See, the reason he went back to fishing is, well, sadly, Peter's dream (laughs) died. I thought that his lord and savior died but no it was really his dream that was the thing he was really upset about i mean yeah it's sad that jesus died and stuff but yeah he went back to fishing because his dream died to fish and there are people
5: in this building that had a dream but now it's surrounded by shattered glass and spilt milk
0: oh yeah this sounds terrible i mean Here you got a whole building full of thousands and thousands of people who actually need to hear a word from God, who need to be told of their wicked rebellion against God, of their sin, of the consequences of their sins, of their crucified and risen Savior who took their sin upon themselves in order to, um, well, forgive them of their sins. And here they're being taught that... (laughs) Their dreams could die. You
5: had a dream for your marriage, a dream for your children. What do you do? You can despair or you can dream again. So while heads are bowed and eyes are closed and nobody moving about, thank you.
0: Done. Yeah, this is just absurd. So head uh, eyes closed head bowed kind of like uh, you know altar call style but r- <laughs> the altar call is for well the important thing to dream again you know uh, back in the day you know I, I I had been to a few altar calls when I was a younger lad and and the most important thing <laughs> the altar call was a recognition of your sin and your call to mercy for god to forgive you but now this is the altar the newfangled altar call the altar call of well you need you know you need to well dream again dream again you need to dream big that's apparently what needs to happen and uh yeah this is just gobbledygook and unfortunately the people there at church of the highlands did not really hear what they needed to hear Oh, it might have sounded relevant for the here and now, but this was utterly ir- irrelevant when it comes to what really matters when it comes to God. This is almost like a functional form of atheism. Absolutely bizarre. What did you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at com. or you can subscribe on Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash Pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.